Guys, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning. We, we have been going through uh, the Gospel of John, but because it's Palm Sunday, I thought that I would bring you a Palm Sunday message, something for you and I to consider from the events of that day so long ago. I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 19. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 555. Luke chapter 19. And we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. Now, I know that that is a big day in Christendom. Some churches uh, invest in palms, and they have events where everybody has a palm, and they wave their palms, or the children wave their palms. Uh, we didn't do that here. We do want to talk about it, though. And we want to talk about the implications for you and I. Because when you think about what we're going to read, Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the reaction of the disciples. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And them laying down the palm branches and their cloaks so that he could walk over as he came in on a colt. Not a warrior's horse, but a colt, a, a symbol of peace. There are some lessons for you and I to learn because the people who were there, they had ideas about what Jesus was supposed to do. In their mind, Jesus was going to save them from the Romans. He was going to overthrow. This is the Messiah. He's going to come and establish the kingdom again. But, but the reality is, is that Jesus had a different plan. Jesus had a different thought in his mind as far as what was going to take place. And let, let's be honest, God's plans sometimes are not our plans. And that really causes us to have a struggle. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a different plan. And yes, we understand that God had a different plan for himself as he entered into Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to go to the cross and die for us so that we could have forgiveness. But it also has relevance to you and I because we have a natural tendency. Each of us. I have it. You have it. We have this natural tendency. What is it? Well, here's the first thing. We tend to assume that our plans are God's plans. We tend to assume that what we want out of life is what God wants for us. Isn't he the one who gave us those desires? Isn't he the one who gave us those thoughts? And, and so we have this plan in our mind. And a lot of times how we pray is, is we ask God to bless our plan. Bless our idea of what life should be like or what life should be. In fact, we have preachers who will tell us that, who will even encourage us in those thoughts. They'll encourage us that the plans that God has are our plans, like the plans we have for the country or the plans that we have for our family or so forth. Those are God's plans. And so we have these plans and we just assume that those are God's plans. In fact, that's what was going on here. We're going to see that with these folks, these disciples of Jesus. They had a plan of what the Messiah was supposed to do. And so what happens is, is we expect God to honor and fulfill those plans. We're striving for it. We expect him to show up and bless us and honor those plans. And when he doesn't, and let's be honest, a lot of times he doesn't. 
We get upset. And sometimes folks will leave. I've tried that. I'm out of here. God didn't show up the way that I wanted him to. I prayed that this would happen. And what they were praying was, is really to God bless their plan. And when it didn't happen the way that they thought it would happen, they were gone. Why? Because they just assumed that God would fulfill and honor their plans. But the reality is, the scripture tells us over and over that God's plans are not our plans. His ways are higher than our ways. And the thoughts that he have are completely different than the thoughts that we have. And everything that he's doing is for his plan, which we benefit from. And we're going to see that here soon. Because I'll be honest with you, you should be thankful that what the disciples wanted on that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem didn't happen. And that what Jesus was actually wanting to accomplish, we should be thankful that it did happen. Because if the other plan happened, you and I would be in trouble. We wouldn't be able to sing the songs that we just sang about our shame being removed, about our sin being forgiven. Because let's be honest, most of us here, I think if not all of us here, we're Gentiles. And being Gentiles, we had no share in the promises that God had for his people. But because of Jesus and his different plan, you and I benefited from salvation. And you say, okay, George, what, is, what has this got to do with us? Well, I, I'm, I'm wanting us to understand that faith and trust in God and Christ is not just faith and trust in his salvation for you, but it's for how your life is from the moment now until you go to be with him. And that sometimes I'm going to put my faith and trust in what he wants and his plan, even if it's not my plan. And let me just be honest with you, folks. I had a lot of plans in life that I wanted to do, but God had other ideas. So you have to come into conformity with that. And realize that what he wants is for your best. So let's look at this together. So I want you to look in the Bible. Look at Luke. We're going to look at chapter 19. It'll be up on the screen if you want to read it there, or you can read it in the Pew Bible or your own Bible. Look with me. We'll start with verse 35. Here's what Luke records. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, 
if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now here's what we're going to do, folks, because it starts out great. Wow, Jesus is here. Awesome. And then Jesus, as he approaches the city where everybody's celebrating his company, coming, he cries. And he makes a pronouncement. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to see, first of all, the excitement. We're going to understand the whole issue of their having their plans. And then we're going to talk about Jesus' understanding about his plan and coming in conformity with that. So let's look, first of all, at the excitement. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The excitement, what's going on? So here's Jesus, he's put on a colt, they spread their garments on the colt, they put them on the colt, they bring them into the city, people are spreading their garments on the ground, they're taking palm branches, making way for the coming king, and there is excitement. Why? Because they were witnessing the fulfillment of their prayers. What prayers, George? God, save us from the Romans. God, establish your kingdom. Bring glory back to Israel. Is that not what Isaiah promised, Lord? You could hear their prayers. That the Messiah would come and restore the kingdom and bring all of Israel back, and it would be glory days. God, restore your kingdom. And so here's Jesus. They've been following him for three years. They've heard the stories of him healing, of him making the lame walk, of giving sight to the blind, of raising the dead, casting demons out of people, teaching like no one's ever taught before with an authority that is beyond anything in their day. And they're thinking, yes, this is the time. He's showing up. The enemies are going to be vanquished. We're going to have victory. This is awesome. Jesus is here. And they're excited because their prayers are being answered. They were witnessing the fulfillment of their prayers. And that's because what? They believed that Jesus was going to establish the kingdom now. They lived with that. It's interesting. Look with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Even after Jesus is resurrected, right before he ascends, the question that comes out of his disciples' minds, because you've got to understand, this is their plan. This is the question. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus is getting ready to go be with the Father. He has just gone through the cross. He's resurrected. He's been with them. He's getting ready to rise up. And guess what? He's, they're like, so are you going to give us the kingdom now? Because that's what their agenda is. That's what their plan is. That's what they thought he would do. And 
Obviously, up until that point, he hasn't done exactly what they thought he would do, but they're still, still holding on. One, they still want God to bring about their plan. We get like that, right? We have it in our mind. We get become convinced. We become consumed with God's going to do this. God's going to bring this about. God's going to bring a healing. God's going to bring financial security. God's going to do all these different things. And we become convinced. And then when we see that God is acting in a different way and he's going in a different direction than what we're used to, or even that we thought of, we're, we're still like, yeah, okay, I, you're God, you can do what you want to do, but I still believe you're going to do this, God. And we still have hope that somehow he's going to bring about our plan. And that's what these guys are doing. And what, but here's what Jesus said. We're not going to talk about that right now, verse 7. I'm sending you to be my witnesses in Judea and to the othermost parts of the earth. I've got a plan. Come in conformity to my plan. But see, here's the thing. They wanted their plan to be restored. And so here's what happens. They thought they understood God's plan. They thought they understood God's plan. We get that way, don't we? I think one of the amazing things that's happening in the church today in North America, in our country, is we think we know what God wants to do with our country. Can I tell you? We have an idea, but it ain't necessarily God's plan. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I don't think that he all of a sudden gave a group of people a special message in the night, this is my plan. He doesn't operate that way. In fact, if there's a plan he gave us, it's the prophecies about what's to come. And that's where we put our hope. Not in plants. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and they thought that they understood God's plan. And I get that way sometimes too. When I'm in a situation and I think, man, this is what you've got to do, Lord. I become convinced that this is how God's going to work it out. Let me tell you, the times that I've done that, I can look back on them now. He has never gone according to George's plan. I should just give up trying to figure it out. Because he doesn't act that way. He doesn't. But that's what's going on that day on Palm Sunday so many centuries ago when Jesus enters in. They're putting down the palm branches. They're crying, Hosanna. They're thinking, he's here. The Messiah's here. The plan's happening. Why do you think the disciples did like James and John's mother? They couldn't even do it themselves. They had to send the mother. Can my son sit on your right and left hand in the kingdom? Those are places of power. They're, they're jockeying for positions in their plan. And even then, Jesus is like, I, I don't have that power to do that. My father is the one who sets those things in motion. This is the reality. This is, we can look at them and we're like, oh man, I can't believe they did that. We do the same thing every day in our lives thinking we know the plan. 
But this is where the passage turns. When we get to verses 41 to 44, we're going to see God's plan, Jesus' understanding. So I want you to notice with me, because this, it'll blow your mind. If we, if we just read through it quickly, we, we don't catch it. But if we could just pause for a moment, here we are on one hand, from verse 35 to verse 40, we see the excitement. People are like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees are saying, hey, Rabbi, silence your, your followers. And Jesus said, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out. It's, it's ordained. They were supposed to really welcome Jesus that day. But they're thinking it's according to their plan. But here's what Jesus says. This will blow your mind if you just pause for a moment because it's like, what? What's going on here? Look with me, verse 41. Now when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. What? I mean, they're, they're like welcoming him. And he cries. And then he says this. If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What visitation? They didn't really understand what Jesus was there for. The visitation of the Messiah. So here's the things I want you to see. Three things. First one's this. In spite of their ideas, Jesus knew what would really happen. So he's entering in, and here's what he knows. This is sometime around A.D. 30 to 33. Sometime in there, scholars debate exactly which year Jesus died. But we do know this, that at least up to 40 years later, in A.D. 70, the Romans would come, surround the city, tear down the walls, go in, and just level the whole place and kill everyone there. And Jesus knows what's really coming. Jesus knows what's really going to happen. In spite of their ideas, in spite of their concept that the Messiah was going to come and rescue them from the Romans. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Yes, the Messiah will come one day and rescue them from the Romans. But that's in the future. What they didn't see was is that God's plan was is that the Messiah would first come and what? Go to the cross and die for their sins. They couldn't even grasp that. In fact, do you remember when, when, when Jesus is saying, I must go to Jerusalem and die, Peter says to him, wait a minute, Lord, that's not supposed to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Well, what's going on there? Peter's got in his mind, Lord, you're going to Jerusalem and you're establishing your kingdom. You're not going to die there. I'm not going to have that happen. And Peter is rebuked. Because he's thinking about his plan rather than God's plan. And so here they are, they're, they're triumphantly welcoming him in as they should. But Jesus also knows that there's a different plan. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He also, here's what happened. He pointed out that they did not understand. 
He, they did not understand what's taking place. They did not understand. In fact, here's what he says. Look with me, last thing. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. They didn't understand. Listen, folks, here's the reality. Can I, can I be honest with you? We like to think that we know everything about God, but let's, let us tell ourselves the truth here. You and I don't even begin to comprehend how God works. And I'll be honest with you. So I became a believer in 1985. I got saved and then went on to study and, and, and uh, studied the Scripture. And I continue to study the Scripture and I continue to teach on it. I'm telling you more and more as I, I open God's Word and I read it, I am left with the overall impression that God, I think I know you, but I really don't. And the more I read your word and understand, the more I realize how much I don't understand. And I don't understand how you work the way you work. But here's what I do know. I just need to trust you. I need to put my faith and trust in you that you, what you are accomplishing and doing, even though I don't understand it, I just need to trust you. I need to have faith in you. In fact, that's the next point I want you to see. It becomes a question of who do you trust And let's be honest, his ways are better than our ways, right? My wife tries to tell me that. You know, I'll say, I got this plan, this is what we're going to do. And, and she'll quickly point out to me, there's the problem with your plan. It's a, there's a better plan than yours, George. That irritates me. I don't see it. She does. But when it comes to God, it's especially... The reality that my plan does not make sense. He knows better. And who am I going to trust? It's him. In fact, that's what Jesus was saying. If you go over to Matthew chapter 11, because I'll be honest with you, the people in Jesus' day, they could not comprehend, they could not understand what was going on, and they were struggling with it. So when you come over to Matthew 11, there's the story of John the Baptist in the jail. Now remember, John the Baptist, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He was supposed to tell everybody, get ready, the Messiah is coming. He had a baptism to repentance for people to be ready for the Messiah coming, and he was pointing to who Jesus is. In fact, he did. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And here he is, he's in prison, he's going to die because he's a preacher of the gospel. And he sends two of his disciples because it's like, wait a minute now, his, he, he thought he understood the plan that Jesus was going to come and, and establish everything. What am I doing here in prison? He sends two of his disciples and he asks Jesus, are you the one or should we be looking for another? And Jesus says to him, go tell John what you see. And he quotes three passages from the from the scripture of Isaiah. The lame will see, the blind will see, the lame will walk, he'll raise the dead. But he leaves out part of Isaiah. The part of Isaiah is he sets the prisoner free. He's basically telling John, I am. But you're going to die there. And then he says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Man, what a verse. 
Blessed are you because you're not offended because God didn't do your plan. He did his own plan. And I'll be honest with you, that's hard, isn't it? Because we think we know. And we've got to figure it out. And we've even been asking him, God, bless my plan. And I thought that I was making this plan with you. I even asked for you to give me wisdom as I was developing my plan. But God, you had another plan. And God's saying, well, blessed are you if you're not offended because of me. Because I chose to do something different. What's the issue? Who are you putting your trust in? Who do you have faith in? And are you willing, if he has other ideas, to go along with him? And that's what was happening there in Jerusalem. And let me tell you something, folks. The sad thing is, is that he entered in triumphantly on a Sunday by Friday. Some of the very same people who were like, yes, Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the end of the week, some of those people in the crowd are crying, crucify him. Because he didn't do what they thought he would do. And they couldn't wrap their brain around that he might have a different plan. So how do we wrap this up? So let me bring you to a conclusion. So here we are, we're talking about a different plan. We're talking about what they were doing and where they were at and the struggle they had. And we're talking about ourselves today. So let me ask you this. Here's the reality. You have to conform your plan to God's ultimate plan. You have to conform your plan to God's ultimate plan. Period. And, and that, that, that's, let me tell you the ongoing struggle. It, it comes up a lot sometimes in my, my relationship with Lori. My, my ultimate plan back 1989 was that God you want me to be a missionary to Africa. And so when I did my seminary training, I was training to go be a missionary in Africa. I even had the group picked out who I was going to be a part of and everything. And let me tell you something, that was my plan and I thought God was going to bless my plan because I thought that was God's plan. He had other plans. Three summers working in a Christmas tree field. Sending me to Canada for four years. Pastoring here for 21. And can I tell you, I've never been back to Africa again. And I even to this day still struggle with, you know God, if you had just followed my plan. You're saying, are you that ridiculous? Yes, I am. So are you. 
when we could have say, okay, God, I may have my plan, but your plan is better. And we conform our lives to it. See, that's really the lesson of Palm Sunday. When you think about what they thought he was supposed to do and when the reality of what he did, wasn't it better? Wasn't his plan so much better than if he had showed up and wiped out the Romans? Because I'll be honest with you folks, if he had just done that, we would have no hope for our own lives for salvation because what he did was is he went to the cross and he died there paying the penalty for our sins, not just for the Jewish nation, but for all of us. And that's why we're here worshiping today because his plan was better than their plan or your plan. Let me pray for you.